Hello and welcome to the second episode in this series of the National Gallery of Ireland podcast. This series is about the current exhibition Shaping Ireland Landscapes in Irish Art. My name is Mark Canton. I'm an improviser, actor, writer, musician and podcaster. In this episode, I talked to Alex Slazenger, the head gardener of Powerscore Gardens, as he took me on a tour around the gardens. So here it is. Alex, we are now walking. We just left the main house of the gardens. You're taking us on a walk through um, some of the spots in Powerscore Gardens. Yeah, so we're going to... Um, we're actually, the area we've just left is the Italian gardens. Okay. Uh, so it seems rather big and a lot of people can ask, where is the Italian gardens? So you're in the Italian gardens. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the, the, this actually is this it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing setup here. Um, here in the Italian gardens? Yeah, really, really big. Yeah, Everything's so it, based on kind of symmetry. This is one of my favourite areas uh, as, a, as a kid. Obviously, you can see the big banks that we have here. Um, yeah, the, the, the grass kind of rolls. There's steep banks uh, uh, rolling, of grass rolling down in, in towards that lake down there. Yeah. And you're saying everything's symmetrical. So are all these trees either side of the... Exactly, yeah. So if we were to stand actually down at the parent you're looking out onto what is a man-made garden here. Yeah. Um, but very cleverly it was designed, the way it was designed is to interact with the, the natural landscape. So we've got the Sugarloaf Mountain in the background. Yeah. And it just very gently rolls in, you know, so there's no interruption between a sort of man-made and a, and a right, na- natural it's, landscape. Right, it slowly so, kind of morphs from yeah, one into the exactly. other. exactly. It's perfect, wow. perfect word for putting it. And, uh, yeah, this whole area would have been kind of developed around the 1840s. Yeah. Uh, around the famine, actually. So oh, really? 100, okay. 100 men. So, 100 oh, men, well, 13, I suppose, 13 yes, years it employed some people. Out. Yeah, so there was I big guess. employment here. Yeah, even though it was, uh, people were yeah. starving and, well, let's, let's do up the garden. That's it, yeah. Uh, okay, Well, great. I mean, it provided families yeah. with... Uh, employment people yeah, that yeah. were coming in from Wicklow on the way to Dublin yeah uh, there was a lot of soup kitchens set up here as well wow. um, okay the family here kind of integrated themselves into Irish society uh, so you know uh, nowadays you'd, you'd have machines but you can imagine what it'd be like with a shovel and shovel and sure. spade yes. and the fact that it's lasted this long as well now the interesting point here is is that it's actually it's symmetrical here but it's asymmetrical with the sugarloaf so it's slightly offset. Um, oh, and really? this is to add to the kind of the morphing. Yes, you, the movement the from where you put it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's not so perfect. Sometimes mm. you're going to always say you've got to find the, the perfection in the imperfection. Yeah. They weren't tempted to move Sugarloaf? No, no. I think that would have been a big feat. <laughs> and, even the, and, the, and the house as well. It's not pointing straight yeah. at, at it. So again, it's kind of with nature. You know, nothing's. Nature is perfect. The way yeah. I see it, but a lot of people still say, "Oh, that's not that tree's not it's straight." Not, yes, or it's got one branch more that side, and you know that's that's the that's I think that's the charm, that's the romance of. And of was nature. that a philosophy of somebody when they were setting this up? I mean, was that an that was the design? It's a kind of feng shui design. Uh, it's really of, yeah, like yeah. okay. So it's 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 how it's sort of now we previous we would have had bigger trees here that we've lost. Um, over the years, but uh, the main the main main design has lasted since yeah. about the 1840s. Wow! So Italian style matches in with the Palladian style house. Okay. So are there a lot of gardens like this in Italy? Is it? Yeah. This well, actually, this Italian was style? well in France. This is mimicked on Versailles. Okay. The palaces of Versailles. Right. So this is yeah. a sort of miniature version. Yeah. Um, of Versailles, and it was sort of something that I never quite appreciated, obviously growing up. Uh, as a kid, it was just this was fun. This was my, sure. my playground, and it yeah. was in the snow. You'd roll down the banks yes. and, and run down the banks, and, and yeah, no, it was uh, it was great fun. It was, uh, I suppose, it kind of kickstarted my my passion for for yeah. plants and, and the outdoors and something that I called, which is which I think every human needs, is uh, biophilia. So biophilia is a term coined by uh, E.O. Wilson, who says that humans need to interact with nature. We are a part, we're a part of nature. Yes. You know, so we need to interact with it. So we do best when we're here, when we're within nature, or even, even biophilia is even a thing if you're working in an office, 
to have a view of a tree yeah rather than a view of a wall yeah is all mentally it can it can kind of persuade you to positive thoughts and and just a kind of balance and it just means you know we are mammals we're part of this planet and we're part of nature well i mean this is your office so does that make you the most centered person i wouldn't say that (laughs) (laughs) i have my moment moments of stress and there is there's there's certain spots around the garden like that that uh, i mean the amazing thing about this garden is we get a lot of people visiting the garden and especially in summer it can be really really busy but you always always find quiet little spot there's Mm. always a bench somewhere or there's always a part of the garden where people won't you know there's not a mass group of people so you'll always find I think we'll visit a few of them um, there's always a spot where you can actually just switch off and I think that's um, everyone's so busy nowadays it's it's sometimes really really hard to just stop even clear your thoughts even just don't think about anything and and just uh, be you can always have the office with you yeah exactly no I am lucky this is a it's a it's a big 46-acre office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Uh, will we keep strolling? Yeah, let's keep going. So you grew up here? Grew up on the estate. So, yeah, my family took... Uh, we bought the estate in 1961. Um, and it was from the Wingfield family, who had it since about 1602. Yeah. Uh, so they'd had about 350 years... Uh, of developing this garden and they were really passionate about plants yeah Uh, this was a real collection Um, and that's sort of something now that my family that we want to pass on but we also want to share and this is one of the reasons we have it open to the public is a garden like this shouldn't be just for a select few people it should be able to be experienced by everyone yeah was it closed to the public before um it would have been open on sort of open days um when my family had it we opened it sort of irregularly um and actually we had uh, the house here burnt down in 1974 and the ironic thing is the next day we were going to open the house to the public yeah the next the very next day yeah um, so and that the, you didn't take that as an omen. Yeah, so the fire fire literally ripped through the entire house um, and, and destroyed everything. But we managed to see it that if, if we could make this into a, um, a sort of a commercially viable business, we could keep maintaining the garden. Right. Um, because, you know, places like this now just literally cost a fortune to, to run. Yeah. Um, so the the idea is that if you open up to the public, share it, and that means that I can I can carry on, and I can ex- extend the garden and expand it. Yeah. Um, so what we've actually walked into here now is this is the herbaceous border. This is a fantastic spot. This is a double, uh, the longest double herbaceous border in the country, hundred and twenty meters. Okay. So it's um, a curse and a joy. It's uh, <laughs> start maintaining. You go down one side yeah. and you come up the other side. You finish and then you start again. Um, and what we've actually done this year, which is going to be absolutely breathtaking, is we've planted in about fourteen thousand tulips uh, in into this area. Uh, Fourteen different varieties. So that's going to be really. It's going to be really show stopping. This area is a real. It's a kind of it, sort of like a painter's palette. It's something that can be changed. Right. Very, very easily. Yes. Herbaceous borders are, you can just, you know, the plants, you can you can dig them out, you can put in new ones. And that's what's kind of nice is that your garden is never stale. It doesn't have to stay the same way. It's constantly evolving. Yeah. Um, this is one of my, this is kind of one of my favorite, favorite areas. Uh, really, really show-stopping in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. You've got plants that as tall as us here. Oh, wow. Um, from all over all over the world yeah uh, it's a real little microclimate as you can see we're kind of enclosed with um, walls walls and trees behind yeah, them and walls and trees and actually we will we'll walk through there I can show you some of the, the fruit trees and one of the benches one of my reflecting benches yeah in the corner there so uh, you mentioned like like it's a, a painter's palette like you can change the colours and everything where do you look for inspiration for that is um, to be honest it's, it's other gardens yeah uh, the horticultural industry is it's it's so easy going 
uh, we share a lot. Right. We're very, very open people. So you would know. you travel around the world or travel around Ireland? Um, I travel around Ireland. What I'm hoping to do is get to sort of other places. I have a, a friend of mine, uh, Seamus O'Brien, he runs Kilmacurra Gardens mm-hmm. and he does plant hunting trips. Uh, he follows historic plant hunters. So he's recently just written a book on Joseph Hooker who okay. um, went to the Himalayas to Sikkim and he traipsed around the Himalayas looking at rhododendrons. Yeah. Uh, so he followed his footsteps. So I'm hoping to get on one of his trips next. Yeah. And what that does is it kind of brings us back to the people that created these gardens. They, I always find the really interesting thing is they went to countries where these trees and plants grew and they decided they were going to bring them back. They never saw them the way we see them now. So they planted the majority of the stuff here 150 years ago, yeah. and they would have been maybe six foot tall, you know. So, yes. so it's it's what we see now was done 150 years ago. So it's what we do now will be seen, you know, will be appreciated in in sort of 100, 100 200 years time. Yeah. So it's a real sort of I I always have a we say I have a kind of like you have your one year plan, you have your five year, but you have your 50 and your 100 year plan and long after I'm gone um, it's to leave something for people to, to appreciate mm. and, and what what then is like what would you have like a guiding principle of what what that vi- what that future will be like you know what people would appreciate Do you know I mean? yeah well I think it's going with, 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 with trends one of the big things now that I, th- I think is on everyone's mind is uh wildlife is is insect life mm-hmm. um, the kind of reduction of um, bees moths butterflies insects you know what we're kind of doing to the planet and, and how what we need to do now is that that needs to be the focus mm. and whenever I'm kind of thinking of an, of an area or a new plant to incorporate in the garden it's the top of the list is 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 it is this bee friendly yeah is, is this something that the bees want the insects uh, you know because it's really important um, somewhere like this to have an absolute hub of, of wildlife. Uh, I mean, one of the things that we're sort of pushing towards and I'm pushing towards is reduction in grass um, and actually letting areas go to meadow. And I think that's something that people can do, everyone can do. And I think if we all did a little bit in your own garden, whether yeah. you've got maybe a corner of the garden that you don't cut yeah. um, and you sow some wildflowers um, or you just leave it, <laughs> and just let the grass go to, to seed. You know, we're too, mm. sometimes we're too quick to kind of make everything perfect. Yeah. Um, obviously here we've got certain styles of garden. The garden we just left is a very formal uh, style, but as we continue into the garden, we're going into informal. It's Robertsonian mm. style gardening. Robertsonian. Uh, it was a designer that sort of designed the wild garden. So for here no just oh, in, in, in 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 general the, uh, it was yeah. just it was almost leave nature to its to itself and plant in certain trees and, and and plants but a lot of it would have been you know let area let areas of grass why do you need to cut all these areas let them go yeah. um let the butterflies and the bees come in and what are some plants that wild plants that people could put in their garden uh well one of the best one of the best plants well obviously we've got if we walk through there we can have a look at some of the fruit trees so what we're walking into now is the kitchen garden um so this would have been a very functioning uh kitchen garden obviously for fruit veg uh herbs um so this would have been you know it would have been used food and stuff here would have been produced for the house uh, and for the local community down in Enniskerry. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're looking at now, these are espalier fruit trees. So we've got apples, we've got plums, we've got pears, green gauges, all the way along. Oh, yeah. And especially at this time now. They're all kind of up against the wall. Yeah, so it's a espalier. It's a kind of, it's a French word for basically spreading. Oh, okay. Uh, so these are regular. You could have these as, as just standard fruit trees. Um, but the idea of having them against a wall is they can get a bit of heat from the wall. Right. So when this was created, you actually would have had holes, a cavity. There's a cavity in the wall. And at every section, you would have had a hole in the wall and you would have stoked a fire. Wow. And the heat from the fire would have travelled around the wall. 
So in kind of the early, uh, late winter, early spring, it was just to keep the frost off. Yeah. Like our, we don't really require that now because our climate has warmed up. Yeah. Um, so we don't uh, we don't use that anymore. But these area, this is particularly good for. for Do you bees. know when it was originally? Uh, this area was done around the 1820s. Okay. Um, with the herbaceous border would have been a bit later. That would have been by 1890s. But the functioning fruit, vegetable, and one of the ponds, which would have been a fishing pond, would have been been around the 1820s. Very practical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously now we're looking at it as a, from a nature uh, point of view. Um, we have bees on the estate uh, and we can see some of our bees will come in here um, and uh, they'll feed on this. And I think it's, it's very important to have stuff like this at different times of the year so that the insects have a constant uh, source mm. to go to. We move on yeah, to... we move on. Somewhere else. This is what I like about this, um, the wall garden bit that we're in here. It's because of the enclosure, it's like a little microclimate. Um, yeah. So this is constantly about three degrees warmer. Really? All the time, just because we're purely, we're surrounded. Just keeping the wind off. Yeah, we're, we're, we're surrounded and you know, the, the heat is keeping in. And that's why a lot of these plants will, will kind of thrive. Um, a lot of these plants would have been from ex-British colonies. Uh, so South Africa, um, sort of around China, Hong Kong area, yeah. um, a lot, even a lot of them from the, the Americas. Um, so they're plants that they liked, they brought back, and they are a lot of this stuff now you will see. Uh, I mean, we've got geranium here, um, we've got nepetus, this is catmint, it's all, everything's starting to come up now. But these are all plants, actually catmint's particularly good uh, for bees, it looks a little bit like lavender. Okay. Um, so generally, if you want to sort of plant things for, for wildlife, it's insects and stuff, they see things differently to us. Um, so yeah. colours like purples are really, really good. And flowers that have long stems and stick out. Yeah. You know, so they, so it, they can see them. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, this is another really good one. This is Iberus. Yeah. Uh, so especially at this time of the year, you know, this is in flower now. Uh, so you're always, we're sort of always constantly trying to look at, you know, what can we put in for insects now so they can have a constant supply. In the summer there's massive amount of stuff, but it's really now and it's late uh, summer coming into the autumn, even winter. Mm. You know, that's when, it's why I'd say a lot of the time is um, if you've got clover in your garden, uh, don't cut that late winter or late, sorry, late autumn because it's one of the very few food sources. Uh, for bees and, and really? it's one thing that you should actually kind of try and leave yeah um, but yeah no for tantalism we've got artichoke here as well actually so kind of going back to a bit of the kind of the veg yeah fruit and veg yeah but I think what we'll do is we'll we'll walk through we're, we're kind of leaving the formal yeah um, style garden now and we're coming up to this gate here and we'll be walking through to the dolphin pond which does not have dolphins <sighs> Which is one of the other very commonly asked questions <laughs> here is there dolphins in the dolphin pond. Um, they're mythological Japanese uh, carp. Um, so this would have been something that they would have seen, uh, uh, this, this fountain here would have been something that they would have seen on sort of uh, hunting trips across Europe and, and brought back in. I did try to this introduce koi to this yeah. fish, uh, this pond, but we had uh, we have a couple of local herons. Oh had, yeah, they had a great time. Well, I mean, they're for nice three for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the mythological uh, there's uh, statues these, yeah, of these guys of here, and it's kind of just there. developed into calling the, the dolphin pond. It's very sweet. We were okay. kind of run up and go. I couldn't see any dolphins <laughs> yeah. in the dolphin pond. I said, well, it really wouldn't be big enough for 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 a dolphin. Yeah, but yeah. again, really, like that's one of the things I love about water. I don't know if you can pick that up, it's just the sound of water is something really, really peaceful. Yeah. Um, there's something really kind of soothing, it's sort of trancy about it. Um, yeah. And, and uh, there's a lot of kind of areas in the garden that we're looking at to incorporate. If you can co incorporate water, the sound of water, and then you get your natural sound of bees and mm. birds and, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of something that kind of just can relax everyone. So generally, the, I mean, the feeling that you're trying to imbue in people is relaxation. Absolutely. I mean, this, that's, that's, 
One of my favorite things about this garden, like I, like I said earlier, is that we're very busy. We're, we're a big tourist spot, but because the gardens is so vast and the way that it's designed is that you will always find somewhere where you can just go and hide in the trees yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. sit under a tree and switch off. Um, and I think that's really, really important now when everyone is so busy, um, you know, and that's what I love. I love seeing people here enjoying the gardens. People say, oh, they shouldn't be walking on the grass and they should stay away. I don't really believe that. I think yeah. you need to get close uh, to nature. If there's a tree, you need to go up and touch it, yeah. feel it, yeah. look at it, look at it from all angles. Um, you know, it's not... It's great that people take pictures and stuff, but there's nothing better than actually being here. Yeah. You know, there's nothing better than being under a tree and smelling it, or even this, even the smell of cut grass. Just sort of, you know, that kind of ignites us. We know summer's on the way. Everyone mm. thinking, let's get the shorts out. We'll go to the beach, even though it's probably only about twelve degrees. <laughs> I this mean, is even, what we'll take even, this. even today, I had a, a text from the. the kids go to the local school and when the mum said I'm bringing up sun cream and a picnic the sun's out we're all <laughs> going to sit out and play in the green so um, do you get people designing different places then for like I guess uh, I'm wondering like different things like like a garden to energize people or, or like an area that, like that yeah thing. yeah I mean it's I suppose it has a lot to do with color yeah um color is a huge thing I mean for instance like it's a real mood thing um yellow you would think could be a very happy colour. Yeah. It's actually not. Yellow on its own is a quite a depressing colour. So it's always to incorporate different, you know, yellow and red together is calming. Whereas yellow on its own is can be quite... Van Gogh painted sunflowers for three months. <laughs> and then you know what happened to him. Yeah, okay. Um, so it's a, it's a kind of interesting... It's, it's how, you know, colours can, can change your mood and how you can mix colors. I mean, you'd say hot colors would be purples and blues and, and, and stuff like that, and how you can sort of mix mix colors in. Um, but definitely even, like there's one tree, we've actually just walked by it, there's one tree called the uh, Luma piculata, uh, it's the myrtle. And the fascinating thing about this tree is it's cold all year round, the bark. Um, to the touch. To the touch, it's cold. So even last summer when we had 30 degrees, this tree was stone cold. Yeah. Um, so you know it can be even be a thing if you planted up a whole garden of that in a really hot country, you could go, you could just hug that tree and you could oh, cool wow. down. You know, it's amazing how basically everything comes from nature and, and medicine and everything. Like we have, I'm sure people will be familiar with laurel. Right. Uh, so prunus uh, is is laurel, but it's actually uh, the main chemical from cyanide is derived from that so every plant has a use you know we've got we've just gone by one which is uh, euphorbia which is actually latex if you cut the stems you get this kind of white latex um, so basically everything came from nature and that goes back to me sort of saying the biophilia and mm. how we are a part of it and how we should interact and how we could be using nature a lot more just in every day even you know medicinally for calming teas um, even plants, smells, stuff like lavender, even having a bunch of lavender and having it by your computer in your office and, you know, mm. you just even get that smell. Um, Do you get, I mean, I'd imagine you'd have some plants here that aren't commonly found, yeah. you know. So do you get, like, a lot of scientists or whoever coming in to explore? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the amazing thing about this garden, you've got to remember, this garden is a collection. Mm -hmm. So predominantly it is an arboretum. So an arboretum is a collection of trees. Um, but it's a collection of trees from all across the globe. From, we've got, uh, I mean, for instance, here, this tall one here with really spiky ones is uh, Ericaria aracarana, which is monkey puzzle. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so this is a tree from Chile and Argentina, which is actually critically endangered in Chile and Argentina now. Um, so the likes of having gardens and, and having places that are growing these trees is you know extending its life yeah i had a guy who's writing a book on uh chilean trees uh, across the world and, and he came in and he said you know you the monkey puzzles here just grow so much better he said uh, they, they they prefer this climate really um they're starting to suffer over there with, with forest fires and climate change and they're not growing as well but he said they grow so much better here yeah 
Um, also behind them, we've got really big, large, giant redwoods. Yeah. So these are the ones you find in California. Yeah. Uh, Sequoidendron giganteum or Sequoia sempervirens, the mountain and coastal redwood. Uh, and now in America, these grow, they're about 2,000 years old. It's the one that you've seen General Sherman, you can drive a lorry through it. Yes. So these are huge, huge trees, but they grow better here. And they're growing at a faster rate here because we're a much damper climate. Mm. Um, so, you know, they, and these are only 150 years old. These are complete babies. So you can imagine with that time frame, how long could this garden go? Yeah. And how much more of a collection could we add? Yeah. Um, also looking at the things and, you know, climate change is, is, is a serious thing, but it's also how do we adapt? Um, and what can we do to sort of change the way we, we, we view it? There's a lot of things now that I could plant that you wouldn't have thought about doing 200 years ago because the climate just wouldn't have, it would have been too cold uh, or it wouldn't have been hot enough, there wouldn't have been enough moisture. Um, so it's sort of working with that and saying, you know, m can we get more exotic plants? Can we enhance the visitors, um, sort of their, their experience? Um, I mean, we get a lot of international visitors and they'd be looking at that and they go, I'm from Chile. <laughs> this is, I know this tree so well and it looks so different here. Mm. Um, you know, there's a lot of plants that you take out of their natural environment and they could thrive or they could completely fail. Um, there's a problem plant that we have in this country now called Japanese knotweed. And it's a real nuisance and it it's, has to be controlled. Uh, it sort of grows through walls and under pavements and spreads and everything. Yeah. In Japan, it's not a problem. It's an ornamental plant. So it's a sort of example of taking a plant out of its natural habitat can either it can either thrive, maybe thrive too much, yeah. or it can completely fail. In this way, that one has thrived too much and yeah. it's become invasive. So it's a constant thing with gardening is kind of knowing what to introduce. Uh, and that's where, as you said, the science comes so into So how it. do you figure that out? Years of trials. Years. Of, you know, we've got uh, another plant, Rhododendron ponticum, uh, which is basically the common form of rhododendron. Uh, was actually introduced by uh, the Wingfields here at Powell's Court, and it's now a com it's a problem all over Ireland, mm. uh, especially in the the west of Ireland. Um, now they wouldn't have known, but that's the key thing that we're doing now, and that scientists are doing. If there is a plant that's being introduced, and this is the idea of plant passports, and and checking plants that are coming into the country, uh, is that are they going to become a problem? Maybe we need to do trials for 20 years with this plant in our environment before we introduce it and before it's readily available for people to buy and grow. Yeah. Does it suit our climate? Is but it beneficial a, to our climate? If a plant, like a seeds, can spread on the wind, how mm. do you contain that? Is there very like difficult? Okay, yeah. so how do you do the yeah. trials then? How are you? Well, you do them in a uh, controlled environment. So CECs can um, control environment capacity. Um, so you would, you know, see its growth habit in our conditions. So you'd replicate its, our temperatures. Um, okay. You'd replicate our sunlight. Uh, I mean, it's the great thing that we have in Ireland is really, really long days, mm. you know, compared to so it's a longer growing season for the plants as well. No, it, it's tricky. And I think it's something that not enough attention is being paid to and there's not enough funding put into trials of, of plants and how, you know, how they could help uh, or, or how they could be a problem. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to point out this, this is the tree uh, I, I was talking about earlier. This is the weeping holly. This is Ilex acrofolium pendula. So basically it's a weeping holly. So you've got, if we go up a little, because yeah. this is, this is again, this is, uh, this is one of the kind of trees that you have to get close to. Um, so I think from here you can see the kind of the architecture. It's um, all the, there's like a whole load of branches yeah. and they're all kind of weaving all, weaving all around each other. Intertwined and yeah. looks really gnarly as well. Yeah. You know, um, but you can see the line uh, about three quarters of a meter up. Oh yeah. There is a line. So this is your graft mark. This is where the two trees were joined. So you, there was a tree there. No, no, no. they did it. As the tree would have only been about a foot tall. Yeah. Um, and they would have taken a rootstock. So rootstock being the roots and a st stick like that. So the bottom half of a regular holly. Okay. Uh, so an Ilex aquifolium. 
then they would have taken a pendulum, a weeping holly, and attached that to it. So Attached it, um, literally like cut the two of them in yeah, half and plonk one on top of the literally other. Literally cut the two of them in half and, and wrap it around tie it. Yeah. Almost like, not duct tape or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. But, but literally, you, you join in even hot wax and stuff. And it would have been something that I, I just think is incredible that I was here with a guy from um, the BBC, Roy Lancaster, and we spent about half an hour photographing this tree and he said this is just this is incredible I haven't seen one of this age uh, especially the fact that it's grafted and I mean you can see how thick how the girth the, of the, that, the girth of that trunk uh, is um, the best time actually if we get even closer yep. to it um, can you see that kind of salmon color yes. through the bark um, so in the summertime when we get the sun coming through this little gap here. This illuminates this entire tree. Oh wow. And it turns completely pink. Okay. Uh, so just, and that is to do with the age of the tree as well. Because it's so old. Because it's, it's so old, yeah. Um, so it's like, I mean, unfortunately the gardens aren't open at the time, but it's 8, 8 p.m. in the middle of July is the best time. Uh, so that's your problem. This is show. one of the trees I used to climb uh, yeah. As a kid, I'm sure. Uh, one of one of the many many trees. I'm sort of paying the price of looking after this place now. I was a terrible child, so I. So now I, you have I, to. I, I, me and my brother we used to run around this garden, tormenting the tourists, and, and it was our it was our playground. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting, and it was it wasn't as busy back then as well. Yeah. Um, we have a uh, monkey puzzle avenue just outside the garden. We used to have our motorbikes. We used to do races up and down. Yeah. Uh, on our motorbikes, but uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, very interesting, and I think I kind of didn't realise at the time how much, how beneficial nature... Now, when I say that, it doesn't have to be, for people, it doesn't have to be a 46-acre garden with a tree yeah. collection from all around the world. It's that or bust, I've heard. It's uh, don't bother <laughs> unless you have 46 acres. No, but I mean, it's, it's just like, it's getting kids out, even running around a field, rolling around in the grass, making daisy chains, playing, fighting each other with sticks, mm. having anything to do. And I think it's just something that we've kind of um, maybe lost. You know, it's, it's a case of tell your kids to just go out, go out the door and they can come back for tea um, yeah. and they have to entertain themselves. Yeah. You know, that was sort of when I was growing up, that was it. Right, go, come back, tea's at six, um, go and entertain yourself. And that's kind of when I sort of realised, you know what, I think I, just, I don't see myself in an office mm. and I thought if I have to have an office I think it'll have to be a tree <laughs> or it'll have to be outside or it'll have to be something something to do with this um, so yeah look I'm very lucky to have this but like I said it, it doesn't have to be this it's going back to the, yeah. the biophilia it's just anything yeah. get part of whether you've got one tree in your garden or a bit of grass or, or a plant, one plant, or even if it's you're in an apartment or something, have your potted plants in your house. I mean, it's great for you know, oxygen as well. I mean, you know, having, having plants in your office or, or your house um, is just, it's healthy. Yeah. You know, so. Great. We keep strolling. We'll keep going. 33 minutes now. So we're kind of leaving the dolphin pond area. Yeah. Uh, and you can see we're walking now through a kind of a little archway of bamboos here. Mm. Um, and we're coming up towards, which is a very novel part of the garden, is the pet cemetery. Now, is this a literal pet cemetery or is <laughs> it like the dolphin pond? No, There's no, no it's pets there. <laughs> there is pets here. Uh, so this is the largest private pet cemetery in the country. Um, it's not that big, but it's it, this was would have been for prized horses, dogs, cattle. Yeah. Um, so very kind of interesting. There's some novel little sayings like little bots went out hunting one day, never returned. Oh yeah. Um, they filmed Black Beauty here, way back, and one of the horses that they were using um, died on set, so wow. they decided to to right. put a headstone there. Um, but a great little section and, and yeah. you know, it's a great thing so for kids. So about 25 graves there yeah. or something like that? Mostly cattle. Um, yeah. They were big into... My, my grandmother here was big in. She was a cattle breeder. 
and uh, Laura Pyscourt was was big into cattle as well. So you know they would have had prize bulls mm. and, and and definitely horses and dogs as well. They would have would have had prize dogs here. So it's a, it's a cute little part of the part of the garden. And then to our right hand side, this is one of the areas that I'm kind of trying to develop uh, yeah. and, and one of the sort of uh, I think is one of the most fantastic plants is the rhododendron uh, so rhododendrons are you know Asian uh, sort of probably Himalayan plants yeah um, they're amazing they're actually what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll walk down and we can have a look at a, a few of them but uh, the way that I kind of like to we've got all these paths here that we're following around and we've yes. got signs and people get maps of, of gardens and everything the kind of way I, I, like, I want people to see this garden is that you don't follow the paths yeah. or you don't follow signs or your map um, that the plants actually guide you so you're at certain sections an intersection in the garden you go what, what will I, where will I go Yeah. Um, you know because everything here is plants are seasonal yeah. yeah, so things will be in flower at different time, and you go, well, what do I see? Oh, yeah. So, so now we see the rhododendrons down, yeah. down in the valley below us. Um, it's like a light purple and a... Yeah. So this, this is the kind of... This is where we're... At the moment, all of this was blocked, so you couldn't see anything down there. Okay. So it's how we kind of draw... How you draw people into different parts of the garden. So, so rhododendrons are, are very seasonal. They're kind of um, late spring, very early summer. Um, so really that is... This is... This garden is only for that time. Mm. Um, when you've got a kind of vast garden, you can afford to do that. You don't have to have every single plant in a small little area. You know, you can have specialised... So this is the rhododendron walk. Yeah, um, which is predominantly just rhododendrons, um, but the idea here is to draw people down to it because, as you can see, we're standing up here and it's sort of in the, the valley below. Yeah, and it's one of the key things that people don't think about when you're viewing trees. How do you want to look at a tree? So we're standing here, for instance. There's a big beach behind yes. us. Yeah, which is is about two hundred years old, two hundred and fifty years old. And it's towering over us. Yeah. And we're looking up at it. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be incredible to be on top of it, above it, looking yeah. down? Yeah. You know, so it's the kind of concept of, well, how do you appreciate a tree? You, do you just look at it and look up? Or do you try and get above it and see what it looks like yes. from, from above? You know, so it, it's... And they can look really, really different. And obviously, the best thing about these rhododendrons, all the flowers are at the top. So as we, we'll, we'll go down there and, and we can kind of, we've created areas where you can actually get in close to them. And uh, we've created a kind of a water system as well, again, to get the kind of noise of uh, the movement of water. It's nothing like movement of water to completely relax you. Mm. It's one of, the, one of the best things. Great. So we'll make so our way down. There is a very steep path here. So... This podcast is about, you know, it's from the National Gallery and about the exhibition there of landscapes and mm-hmm. paintings of landscapes. I presume you get a lot of artists coming here yeah. to... Yeah. Um, we had the oh, National Landscape of... National Artist of the Year. Oh, yeah. Did the, their piece here. Um, was that an exhibition or people had to come no, and paint? No, it was the, the TV programme. I'm, sorry, I'm not unfamiliar with that show. But they come and they paint for a couple Basic, of hours, isn't yeah, that? Basically, it's a, it's a competition, and you, I think they, they were looking out over the Italian gardens, and they all had to paint the Italian gardens yes. in different styles. You mm. know? Um, but, I mean, one of the big things, one, one of the amazing things about gardens like this is it's great to get uh, botanical artists. Uh, there's a really good uh, artist called Ling, Lynn Stringer who's an incredible botanical artist and it would be getting people like her to come in and like where we're we're right up beside a rhododendron now and you can see that how impressive that is yeah um if you were to say the actual flower flower. so if you were to actually paint it and even the flowers that have fallen off and that are underneath it is still a feature yeah as well so you know even when the plant has say the flower has senesced so senestation is, is when a plant kind of reaches its peak. So if you imagine a graph and it's going up, 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 and it reaches the top, and then it's in decline. 
of its uh, lifetime. Overall lifetime. But you can take that from the point of a flower going from um, flower to seed. You know, so at this moment, this plant is just slightly gone over. Yeah, the petals are kind of turning a little bit brown there. Last week. Right. Um, And that's the great thing about rhododendrons is they're all slightly different time. This one here, for instance, the Signor Grande, just down to the right, is only just starting to flower. So you're getting a longevity of of flowers right through that late spring, early summer period. Um, Also what I have here is I'm growing on about 140 different rhododendron, species rhododendron, uh, that once they're big enough we will be planting in to this area to just increase the the kind of the the, the wow factor mm. um this the, one of our my difficulties with this area is it's a very boggy area so rhododendrons love like all plants they like water uh but they don't like too much water so they don't like their feet sitting in in wet this is really really boggy it's almost like peat bog uh so what we did here in the winter is we dug out these channels mm. now they've all got blocked up now we need to get back down and <laughs> clean them out um, but the water kind of flows down and you get the sound of, of water plus it drains them and the plants will start to respond uh, a lot better and actually if we right. get this is the idea with your head there you, yeah. go, you go through there I'll go under it yeah. this was as far as we could have got before yeah so you couldn't get into anything that was here. So the idea now is that people can actually get in and get up close. Uh, we couldn't get any further because it was too boggy. Or it, was was too, too many it was too overgrown. There was brambles. Right. It was a certain area that had slightly been been let go. Um, but now what you can do is like you can. Like this is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. <laughs> just, it just suddenly hit. We've literally a patch just walked into a little sunspot, yeah. and we're kind of amongst. Look, you can see. You can even see the bees now. Oh, they're yeah. all over that plant. They're all yeah. there. Bumblebee there, but there's loads of honeybees there as well. And then you can see different colours, you know. So you're all yeah. of a sudden you're kind of like you're emerged, immersed, yeah, in this. And this is really peaceful. There's just no noise here at all, you know. So you could I quite happily sit here for the rest of the afternoon. Me too. I was just thinking that, yeah. So this is, you know, this is what I, again what I was saying about quiet areas of the garden. Like this could we this could be a really busy day. And this would still feel like this. You'd have mass amount of people walking up there below us and everything. But once you're in here, you're, you know. And this is again just going back to nature. Yeah. Just be part of it. And you know, you you may be stressed out thinking about work, kids, wives, family, all all this kind of thing. Just come here, switch off. Don't think about anything. Just think about how amazing that flower looks. Or why is that leaf so big? <laughs> <laughs> or why is the why is that leaf got silver underneath, and why does that one have cinnamon underneath? You know, mm. so it's one of the things, and it's definitely one of the things I really want to do is is get to the Himalayas and visit these plants in their natural habitat, because you would have mountainsides of this, which would look and and to get inspiration for that, it's it's sort of it's it's something that I think. As gardeners, you need to get away from the garden that you're in and get visiting and see how other people do it. Again, like I said, we're not, you know, it's not a cutthroat business. Yeah. So you can always get inspiration and ask for ideas from, from other people. And that's, that's what we do all the time. You're always saying, you know, does this plant work? Would this work well there? You know, well, well look, I'll try it out. And mm. if it doesn't work, and I always say that with gardening is don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to get it wrong. Because a lot of the time people don't want to, oh, I don't want to cut this plant at the wrong time of the year. I don't want to do something that's going to kill it. You'll never know unless you make the mistake. I make mistakes constantly, yeah, all the time. And that's kind of the only way you learn is if, do you know what? I'm not going to cut this plant at this time of the year again because it didn't work. Or do you know what? It did. And all the books were saying don't do it. But that particular plant in its situation here it, it benefited from that, you know. So I always say to people, don't be afraid to make mistakes. It's only plants. And do you keep a, a, like a, a lot of logs and records? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would keep... Cut this plant here, it was a mistake, don't do it again. Yeah, don't cut this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't prune this plant now. Wait, wait a month, wait till the frost has definitely passed. Uh, or 
cut this one harder because it'll benefit. That's one of the things sometimes people don't, don't do is they don't go tough enough. We've just walked out of the, the rose garden up there and uh, we have about 40 year old roses that my grandmother planted and they had never been hard pruned. And the phrase tough as all roses is true. Uh, so we prune them really, really hard and they're responding really well because a lot of time with plants, uh, where they're actually, where everything is going on is underneath the ground. Mm. So that's where their life comes from. It's from the soil. If you have a problem with a plant, you need to look at your soil because more than likely it's something wrong underneath. There's a reason it's not growing. It grows from the feet up. And you imagine like our heart or our brain, that's, that can be the source of a lot of kind of problems. So you go to the source. Uh, so the same, same with plants. And a lot of plants benefit from being rejuvenated. What we were doing here is a lot of rejuvenation pruning. So it's going really, really tough on a plant. Something that sometimes with plants you kind of have to do every, say, 20 years is actually cut them right down, bring them right back and start them again. And they thrive. You know, plants will thrive from, from that kind of regeneration. Mm. Cool. So we'll have to leave this sunny, nice sunny area now. I'm sure there'll be others. So this is, a, this is a kind of project, this is work that we did in the winter. Um, it's a very busy garden here, there's a lot of stuff to do, so winter projects is really important for us as well. It's, it's a sort of time to reassess areas that we want to kind of slightly develop or rescue. Yeah. Um, so this, is, this was last year, last winter just gone, this was number one of a five-year rescue program. Yeah. So it would be going back in again, opening up areas so that people can get into them and then having a, uh, a plant and doing more planting. Uh, everything you can see when we were walking through there was on our left-hand side, mm. and we've got all of this. Yeah, oh, on the so right-hand side. All potential. Uh, yeah, there's not much, not much color there. No. So, I mean, I think that's the, the, that's the great thing about gardening is it's, it's never finished. Yes, that's the. I think that's the key thing. Is you, ne you can always strive for your perfection and everything, but I, I think you, I think it's better to always go. This is always a constantly changing, uh, evolving, developing thing. Mm. Um, and you know, there's so many things that we like. Actually, for instance, when I said about wildflower meadows, yeah, this sort of area here that we're walking into now, this is where I, what I'd like to see of. We stop cutting grass here. Um, we let it go slightly wild. Yeah, at the moment it's fairly it's, kept. Yeah, I mean, it's quite the grass is short and, and yeah. stuff like that. But if you were to have this with sort of three foot meadows yeah, with butterflies and bees and moths and insects and a whole hive of activity, uh, it's really biodiverse for starters. Um, and it just awakens your senses as well. Um, and that's, like I said, something little that everyone can do. Do you really have to cut all your grass at home? Why not leave a little square meter down on the bottom and just leave it and see mm. what happens, mm. see, what, see what pops up? Um, because generally you find even grasses are really beneficial. Uh, they will flower, you know, and they'll be a, they'll be a source for, for bees and insects, so. Yeah. Actually, and here's a... Remember I was talking about the giant red ones? Red ones, yeah. So if you get close to this one, <laughs> this is another thing about always so saying, get close to if you can, you can feel that. There's a certain amount of kind of hollowness or something. Like yeah, so or this is really, so this is a, uh, this is not just a simple virus, this is a coastal redwood. Um, but what this is, this is a fireproof uh, bark. Mm. So this has a natural substance called tannin that runs through it. And the way that this plant uh, responds in the wild, this is in, in California, is there will be natural forest fires. Mm. So uh, it's not always humans initiating forest fires. Sometimes it just happens. This is one way that this plant regenerates. Um, so it will get a forest fire. Um, everything else will burn underneath it. All the comp competitive plants will burn. Um, this won't burn. It will burn, but it doesn't burn right down to the skin of the plant, which is the cambium. 
Right. Um, so it it doesn't damage the tree. Uh, the heat opens up the cones. All right, above, in above the branches. Us, in the branches, they fall down, and there's no competition because everything else is burnt. So it has. So then you're little. Redwoods so the so the the up. cones okay yeah they plant the seeds the, yeah. where everything so the else heat, is dead. the heat will 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 you know will open up the will initiate the cones yeah. to, to open up um, but really yeah really it, like that's another you know it's amazing it's how this plant has survived for since dinosaurs yeah you know like the ones in America would be about two over two thousand years old wow um, and they just keep keep growing and like I said these are babies. 140, 150 years old. 1850, I think it was about the time they were they were introduced. Um, wow! But grow really, really well. Yeah. Is there? Where do you go? Like what landscapes outside of of here? Like I guess there's only a certain amount of yeah sort of things that you can you can. Ah, uh, well, like I'm from Wicklow. Yeah. Um, so anywhere really around. One of my favourite spots actually is Loch Bray. Oh yeah. Uh, bring the kids up there on, on weekends sometimes. It's just a really wild uh, landscape. Uh, even up on the feather beds here up past Glen Cree, um, up on the mountains, it's a complete contrast to what we have here. Uh, the west of Ireland as well is stunning. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we're so we're so blessed in Ireland to have such a variety of, of, of uh, landscapes and nothing that's too big and nothing you know like yeah. our mountains here aren't huge you yeah. can like the Sugarloaf for instance there you can, you can walk up it quite quickly yeah <laughs> totally know? um all our river systems our lakes uh, everything's very accessible everything's very close um so actually this is an in, this is an interesting bit this is the triton lake Yes, so we're now down the other end of the uh, Italian garden. Yeah, so this is, the, this is the bottom. This is where I set up at the top how it interacts yeah. with our greater landscape here. Uh, so behind those two trees there is the Sugarloaf. And this is the kind of the start of the Wicklow mountain range hmm. that runs into the, the Dublin mountain range there. But at how this just fairly gently, you know, you sort of go from that, which is clearly not natural. Yeah which is what we're looking at, the house and the steps up to the, the house. Yeah. Uh, with then a sort of man-made lake here. But even around the lake, the, the bushes are kind of let yeah. go a bit wilder. Yeah, they let go a little bit wild. Now, what we do have here is we have an invasive uh, water lily that was introduced. This okay. goes back to how certain things work and don't work. Yeah. Um, we're kind of con- trying to control this at the moment. Uh, it's just starting to pop up over there. But those green yeah, leaves those green, on it's the... a Nufar luteo, which is like a water hyacinth. Um, nice in small amounts, but it has got to a stage where it's starting to take over. And so that's another yeah. thing about how you kind of work with nature. We're custodians of nature, so we're kind of there to to keep it uh, keep it in check sometimes as well. Yes, this is not a native plant. Yeah, um, so it's 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 a difficult one to keep because actually this whole lake is faced with marl. Marl is like a natural substance made like a clay. Okay. Um, so it's what they would have used nowadays. We kind of concrete things. Yeah. Uh, marl is basically a clay. They would have faced the whole thing with marl, and they would have brought in sheep and goats and goats would have stamped it all down. Huh. Goats have the perfect uh, weight ratio yeah. with their hooves uh, to their bodies, their body being quite heavy down to a small weight ratio. So they would have grazed, grazed them in there. Better than getting people to yeah. walk around stamping yeah, yeah, them in. Yeah. But again, working, how do you create things and you work with, with nature and, and other animals? Yeah. So. Um, so I think what we'll do is we'll walk into the Japanese garden. Uh, yeah. But... This is not a strict Japanese garden. Um, this is a European's version of yeah. an Oriental garden. Right. So uh, Europeans would have headed to the Orient and they would have picked up um, certain aspects of Japanese gardening or Oriental style gardening. 
What this means for me is this is quite nice. It's not, we don't have to st uh, stick to strict Japanese. You know, there's no, there's no sand here with raking. Oh yes. Um, obviously we do, we have our cherry blossom in the background. We have our Magnolia Sulanengiae here, which is the white one just in, in flower. Um, but the kind of, it does follow certain aspects of Japanese uh, style. You've got obviously the sound of water. So we've got a couple of bits of water. We've got bridges here. So in Japanese gardening, crossing a bridge is crossing into a different portal or into a different... Like a zone, zone. or a, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so would the, tr the plants be different from one side of the Not the really, other? no. Um, but what we do have, you see these really tall ones here, which is uh, Trachycarpus. Uh, yeah. Fortune, Fortuna, uh, it's like Chinese a, Fortune Palm. Okay. There is a circle of these. This is the inner circle of the Japanese garden. And then you come to the, there's a whole path that goes all the way around. So the Japanese style is sort of in circles, but it's very informal. Like you can imagine from what we've just walked out of, which is the Italian straight lines, parallel, symmetry, everything, yeah. into here, which is meandering paths and flowing water. And, you know, everything is not, it's not really any structure, but there is. There's a yeah. kind of a crazy, uh, sort of a crazy structure where you, it's just very relaxing. Mm. Uh, but what I will show you is this little area here. Yes. And I think what we have to do is we need to go down into it. Should we go okay, this oh, this way. But also what we have here is in the autumn then we have our maples. So our acers. So really a, the Japanese garden here is spring and autumn. So spring you have your magnolias, you have azaleas, you have um, your prunus, your cherry laurel. Uh, then in the autumn you have your maple, your autumn colour, your maples. Yeah. Um, so very kind of seasonal. Uh, this is, I love this area. Uh, we just walked down to what we call the grotto. Yeah. Um, so the grotto, and you can kind of feel it's a little bit cooler. It is, yeah. So the temperature yeah. has suddenly dropped. Um, so it's, it's fairly close kind of walls on all sides which are quite high. And then there's moss on, is that moss yep. on all the walls? Moss and lichen. And what these stones actually are is fossilized sphagnum moss. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this was taken from the, from the Dargo River. Okay. The local river. So this is millions of years of, of moss that has been fossilized. Wow. And that uh, was on the bed of the river? Yeah, it's still being, it's still being formed mm. down there. Um, but it's definitely, it, this is definitely kind of something that you would have in Asian oriental sort of start, natural, they're natural uh, landscapes, not so much a kind of Japanese garden, but in kind of gorges um, where you would have waterfalls coming down. Like you can kind of see we've got water dripping. The idea is we've got pipes which are Victorian and they're completely blocked up and it's meant to go all the way around and you get this whole drip oh, yeah. uh, of water and it keeps everything cool. Um, actually designed for uh, Victorian women. This was a private part of the garden. So the gardeners had to be out of here. This was the family garden. Yeah. Uh, gardeners had to be out of here by half nine in the morning. And this is where the family could come without being seen. Yeah. Uh, so women could come down here and loosen corsets, mm. um, chat without the kind of fear of, of someone someone seen them so very much a kind of family garden because you can imagine now that we're here it's really we're really sheltered from the rest of the the garden even sound wise this yes. is like a natural kind of soundproofing yeah uh, i mean i can can hear a kind of mower in the background but that was a lot louder when we, it was when, when we were further up um but it's even kind of dead sound wise like yeah. our voices aren't reverberating no. a lot here i mean this would be this would probably be good for a little get someone down here with a guitar or yeah something. A song. I was actually they do used to do a lot of jazz parties in the mm. Japanese gardens and stuff. So, but really, I, I just, it's a really unique part of the garden. It's something yeah. really, really different. Um, it's really not peaceful. Classically beautiful. No, no, but that's what I mean. It's it's it's, it's weird. It's very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the, you've so got the sort of slime on the wall, and, yeah, and yeah. it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, but there is something perfect about its kind of mm. imperfection. Great. Well, um, 
speaking of perfect imperfection, we need to wrap up. Okay. Alex, that was fascinating. Okay. Um, thanks very much for leading us around uh, the gardens here in Paris Court. And, um, thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs>